forever. Dog. Hey folks, it's me, Ben Blacker, the creator and host of the Writers Panel. Thanks for listening. I appreciate it. We've got some great episodes for you this month. Um, some folks that I've been dying to talk to and some folks who are friends, mostly from Twitter, uh, who I was happy to meet in person. Uh, so it was a real treat. It was just some really good conversations that are really worth your time. Lots of good stuff to take from them. Um, Happy New Year. Uh, I think this will be a good year for you to write a lot of new material. And I have some ways to help you with that. I'm teaching a couple of script anatomy classes that I think you should take. Uh, If you are a writer who's looking for deadlines and feedback, these are the things that I can offer you. Um, Script Anatomy has a great sort of um, syllabus, and and I like most of what they do. Um, But for the most part, like what you're really paying for are deadlines and feedback. And I am really good at notes. Um, So my first class uh, starts February 12th. It is called Televisionary. It's their basic writing class. It's the basics of TV script writing. Um, I would love to have some smart, interesting people in that class because it's kind of, it's very tool-based and it can get kind of boring for me. Um, So having good folks there who can actually make it more of a conversation would be a lot of fun. Um, And then right after that, I think it starts in, so April 2nd is the TV spec and pilot draft intensive which is a more advanced thing. We help you get from outline to first draft um, or really like whatever makes the most sense for you. And I've done this class before where we just drill down on getting someone's outline really good so that when they do go to draft, it just takes like a week for them to write it. Um, I really love that class. It's much more collaborative. Um, everybody, like we treat it like a writer's room. Everybody works on, you know, gets to give notes on everybody else's stuff. And again, I will give you deadlines. I will give you notes. Um, uh, I, uh, that's the draft intensive starting on April 2nd. You can sign up for both of those and you don't have to do televisionary if you want to do draft intensive. Although I think if you haven't done a script anatomy class before, the televisionary class is a good sort of way in. These are both remote Um, I'm only doing remote classes because I want everyone everywhere to have access to these. Um, That only seems democratic. Uh, Go over to scriptanatomy.com slash class dash calendar or, you know, like just look up script anatomy uh, and then go to their calendar and you'll find both of those. Look for my dumb face um, on the televisionary and draft intensive classes. I really would love um, if some writers panel listeners showed up in these classes because uh, you are generally a smart and engaged audience um, who I think would really do well in them and I think it would be fun to work together. All right, so that's that. Script Anatomy, uh, go check it out. Once again, it's scriptanatomy.com and then click that calendar link. Um, the other thing is I am still doing um, my newsletter, which is really enjoyable for me and I think for others. Um, go to benblacker.substack.com. Um, we're doing, I'm doing a weekly release. I'm writing about um, trends in the industry. I'm writing about uh, screenwriting advice that I've gotten over these past 12 years now 
from doing the writer's panel, um, sort of synthesizing that stuff and putting it down in a way that I hope is helpful to others. Uh, we're also doing monthly Q&As with pro writers. This month, uh, we have the great Akila Cooper, who uh, Akila is the writer of the new movie Megan, which is bananas good. Um, she's been in television for a long time. She wrote Malignant, which came out, I think, last year or the year before, which is so fun. Um, so that's going to be a great conversation. That is on uh, the 13th of January. And the only way to join and ask Akela your questions and interact is to become a paid subscriber. Um, that is also the only way to listen to it once it's been done. Uh, we've also got great guests lined up for February and March, which I'll be announcing soon. Uh, but go to benblacker.substack.com for all of that information. And please subscribe. Uh, I, I would love for that to be the kind of community that the writers panel has been for the past decade. You know, I, I love seeing your comments on the newsletter. I love reading about what you all want to hear about from the newsletter um, and where you are with in, in your writing journey. Like that, that's really, it's exciting to me to see that folks are, are making progress and still excited about it and love TV and want to talk about it. Um, so once again, benblacker.substack.com. Hope to see you there. Thanks for listening. Enjoy today's episode. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh, yeah! Thank you all so much for being here. Um, what I'm going to do first is ask you to go around and introduce yourselves on the microphones uh, so the listener knows what your voice sounds like. Tell us who you are and where they may have seen your name on their television or movie screen. Um, and Dan and Benji, let's start with you guys. Uh, yeah, so I'm Benji Samet. Dan, I'm Dan Hernandez is my writing partner. He's here too. <laughs> uh, we are writing, producing team. Uh, most recently, our show Koala Man, where that we're the showrunners for, just premiered on Hulu. Congrats! Uh, thank you. Uh, so yeah, so that's what we've been spending most of our time doing. But uh, you know, we've written on a bunch of other shows, One Day at a Time, The Tick, uh, Central Park. Leave, leave something for me to say. Uh, well, you can talk about our movies. Okay, I'll talk about our movies. I'll talk about our movies. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> this is Dan Hernandez, uh, as Benji. <laughs> So eloquently said, uh, we're doing a lot in TV, but in movies, we also wrote the movie uh, Detective Pikachu, Adam's Family 2, and we're working on a lot of exciting upcoming stuff as well. Great. But watch Koala Man. Watch Koala Man. That's the most <laughs> important thing. That's all that matters. If you watch Koala Man, uh, Dan and Benji will show up at your house and tell you what the Lucasfilm project is they're working on. They can't talk about it publicly, but they'll go to your home. It, only it's, if you've seen all episodes of Koala Man. I, I was not... I naively was not expecting that to become its own piece of news in our overall deal announcement. <laughs> that was just like a casual reference, but <laughs> come on, you not, have to not, know. not very casual, I guess. <laughs> um, Steve. 
Hi, uh, I'm Steve Loader. Uh, I'm currently the executive producer of uh, Marvel's Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, uh, coming out on uh, Disney Channel and Disney Plus, um, first week of February. Um, also executive producer on a show called The Ghost and Molly McGee. Um, I've been in animation a very long time. I've directed on um, Ren and Stimpy, uh, Duckman, um, Kim Possible, uh penguins of madagascar tinkerbell and the legend of the never beast so my career is all over the map preschool adults six to eleven all over the place um but yeah but yeah but currently uh marvel's moon girl and devil dinosaur is the is the big project on the, on the plate cool and we can't wait for it. it looks the art is incredible the look of it is just killer thank you um felicia Hi, I'm Felicia Pride. I'm a drama drama writer who thinks she's funny. Um, I was most recently a producer on Grey's Anatomy. I am now in our favorite place called Development. I have a shows in development at Netflix, FX, and Amazon, and I also write features. So um, I have two features at Universal, a feature at Sony, and my first feature is on Netflix called Really Love. This is, this is incredible. What, what a resume. Even to be in development with multiple <laughs> things is like, you're not sitting around. Try not to. You know how it is. <laughs> I, I do know how it is, and we're going to get into it. Um, I want to ask you all about what uh, what your past couple weeks have looked like coming out of the holidays, getting back to work. Um, and like Benji and Dan and Steve, you guys all have shows coming out. So I assume those are pretty much completed, but maybe I'm wrong. Um Benji and and Dan, let's start with you guys. Like, what have the past few weeks looked like for you, uh, work wise? Um, insane as ever. No, I've actually this year we actually got to take a, a week off for the holiday and not work, which was nice. We we don't always have that luxury. Yeah. Uh, but you know, there's been a lot with launching a show like right out of after the holiday is in you know kind of wild timing um and so it was just like all right today's january 2nd like go 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 you know trailers coming out press this that marketing play so you know that's been crazy but you know at the same time when you're you know bringing a show to the world it doesn't mean that like all the stuff that you're currently working on gets yeah. to stop and, and take a, a break. So so tell it's... me about managing that stuff. I mean, you have the advantage. There are two of you, but uh, you still, you know, both have hands on everything. So how do you manage all of the stuff that we as writers are so often asked to do that is not necessarily the thing we signed up for, like press, even like pitching and developing um, with the actual writing in whatever stage you're, you're of development you are? I mean, it's it's an extreme challenge. And as you scale up in your career, as we have been fortunate to do, you start to realize why it is necessary at a certain point to bring on an executive or other people to kind of start to help you both with your own projects, but also in the projects that you're overseeing or executive producing. For instance, we have a, a pilot that we're executive producing for a brilliant writer named Dana Schwartz, who's, you know, best-selling author, you know, she's amazing. But it's a network pilot, and we haven't done that in in quite a while, actually. And so we sort of forgot the rhythms of network development, which is everybody else take a break for the holidays. You guys have a perfect pilot ready by January third, 
And that's, you know, I, I, I remember now many years ago why we made the vow never to do this again as far as network development. So you have sort of your projects that you are working on that you're doing, not, not necessarily on behalf of other people, because we also benefit from that, but, but, you know, sort of not our, not the ones that we are directly writing. Then we have ones that we are sort of in the pipeline that we are writing up. And another thing that you realize as you go along in your career is you do want to sort of try to time taking things out to when there's a little bit of momentum in your career, there is a strategic element to it. And so rather than bringing, we have a live action show that we are going to be writing, hopefully if we sell it and then an animated show that we're about to pitch as well with incredible auspices, but we said we probably ought to wait until the new year to bring this out. So now we have that happening as well. In addition to writing, you know, at least, you know, three or four movies concurrently at various stages of, of, you know, some we thought we were going to be writing a year ago and it took a year to get the deal done. Some we thought, you know, so it all is sort of staggered in such a way that, that you have to be extremely disciplined. And I guess the one piece of advice that, that I have given myself is what you exchange in time like what you used to have where it was like, I have one project that I can dedicate all of my time to. I feel like I've traded that time for expertise on some level. So I actually can trust, I think my writing a little bit more at this stage rather than having to pour over the same things a million times for weeks. I don't really have that luxury anymore. And so I kind of have to say, okay, I think I know what I'm doing and and hopefully that will continue to be true. (laughs) so that's fair so that's you know and and the other thing i've noticed and and i've noticed this recently and then i'll be quiet is some nights i think there's a perception that it's like i'm really feeling my writing tonight i'm in a i'm in a creative flow i'm in a beautiful state of mind my my heart is open i'm gonna write the best writing i've ever done and then there's other nights where like the last thing on earth that i want to do is try to write two pages tonight but in looking back on the completed project, I can tell there is no discernible difference in quality between the nights I was really forcing myself to do it and the nights that I felt like I had attained like inner inner artistic you know resonance with the universe. So there is some wisdom maybe in sort of saying like it's okay if it's hard because maybe like one hard page will be just as good as. <laughs> five um you know whatever the case would sure. be. so yeah, yeah, yeah so i've sort of stopped thinking about it in terms of like it's a good writing night and it's a bad writing night and just more like it's time to go into the trenches and do this and that's been sort of liberating in my yeah. in our, our process with this many projects felicia you listed off sort of a a a long list of projects you have in development. Tell me about how you are managing all of those. Yeah. I mean, I try to batch my time by energy capacity. So (laughs) I start my day with the most energy requiring thing, which to me is writing, the Mm -hmm. actual physical writing. Um, And then I go into things that are more like rewriting. And then I'll go into uh, developing a pitch. And then I'll go into maybe like polishing stuff. But that's kind of how I arrange my day so that I usually do my new schedule going into 2023 because I'm like, there's no way I can get all these projects done unless I write five pages a day um, is seven to 10 because I realized that seven to 10 is like people start to 
to want my attention around mm-hmm. nine. And so if I'm able to get my writing done, then at least, you know, developing a pitch for me is less energy capacity. Although the rest of the things is less energy capacity. But if I get those pages done, I feel good. <laughs> and then that yeah. kind of also provides an energy and a momentum for the rest of the day. Uh, and then it's just being really organized about like, you know, who needs what, when, and what check's going to come first. That's how I also like to schedule my time is like, what's the low hanging fruit of checks um, (laughs) and manage it that way. I think that's really smart. I, it's, it's interesting to hear. I mean, first of all, that is a long day of writing and, and, you know, producing content Um, in that seven to nine time when you are focusing on the writing when you're doing pages is it has it become easy to turn that on at 7 and has it become easy to turn that off as you start to get interrupted yeah actually it is because that's also the schedule of my room schedule right so mm-hmm. i would write before i went into the room because oh, i was writing sure. features while i was in the room so that's yeah. like writing before the room and the room provided a natural cutoff time but now it's like yeah i start to like get tired and it's time to switch the brain to something else uh, but i like the idea of just rolling out of bed into the office and mm. writing that has been very helpful because it's almost like a i don't know telling my brain like this is what we do when we wake up yeah, you're you're training yourself for that. I have to I want to ask this because my wife and I recently were having this conversation. Um she is not a writer, but like we both work from home all day and like she will roll out of bed and and get to work. And I'm like I I can't work in sweatpants. I need to put on like I got to wear clothes to do the work. Otherwise it doesn't feel like work. What is what's your take on Oh, like, it's uh, it's a hoodie sweatpants? all day. It's a hoodie all day. <laughs> I like to take a shower as like a break. The shower is like a nice oh, way to then switch your brain and have a creative break. But I love the role because I used to do the morning routine and work out and then I would be tired. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's it's fair. Straight the to energy writing. is going somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's smart. Um, Steve, what has your life looked like these these past couple of weeks uh, coming out of the break and gearing up for the premiere of this show? Like what are you still working on on Moon Girl? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We uh, in fact, we got the second episode of actually the first episode of the second season just came back in and we were editing that. So, uh-huh. yeah, it's I mean, the thing that's about animation is it kind of never stops. It's all mm-hmm. overlapped. So you could be writing a script for this episode, approving the animatic of this episode and cutting and editing this episode at the same time. So, yeah, it just it just doesn't stop. And then also you're kind of thinking about seasons past, you know, and seasons forward arcs of character. Where do you want to go with this character? So it's even though there was a week off, there was a lot of intensive thinking of, okay, this is got to achieve this once you get back into the office, because that train just keeps rolling and it does not stop. Absolutely. And, And as you're working on on season two, you know, and and promoting season one um again how are you managing your time what what tricks have you found for like the creative time for the notes giving or receiving time you know all of that stuff um it's the management has been okay but one thing that's been really great about it on a semi-serialized show which is unusual for for Mm -hmm. kids disney show is it pushes you to think um, for deeper and broader stories for your protagonist because you've got kind of everything on the play at one time. So you can kind of see, okay, season one, this was the broad arc, two, and then for three. So it feels like it pushes 
you to do bigger and better things with your character because you have everything in front of you. You're not kind of walking through a swamp. You're going, okay, let's broad strokes, broad strokes, broad strokes. So uh, it's it's been it's been good, and it it does kind of provide that momentum you you want to move the story forward. That makes a lot of sense. Um, was was the serialized nature of this baked in from the beginning of Moon Girl? No, it was earned. Um, usually, because that, that's kind of what they say is first season, you got to kind of be, it has to kind of be standalone episodes because we want people to kind of come in and out right. to get used to the show. But then if it feels like, okay, this has some depth or some weight to it, then it feels like, all right, experiment with some serialization. But look, to be honest, I, I wanted serialization from the top. I mean, it's it's based off a of Marvel comic and that's kind of what it's all about. So it just felt like, all right, let me just throw in a little bit here and there and see if they react to it positively. Mm-hmm. And they did. And then was just, you know, full steam ahead. Oh, that's really cool. Um, and am I wrong that um, you you worked with a sort of a traditional writer's room on this show? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. In, in fact, um, it, it was it, we had a, we had a fantastic we have right now a fantastic all female writing room, which is amazing. Um, and a lot of the thinking for that came from the the fact that I had just come off of features. So I was a TV guy. I went to features briefly, um, and they kind of soaked in all the knowledge and process of that, and then went back to TV and tried to bring some of that working methodology into that. And part of that was bringing over some feature writers, Hmm. which kind of opened up the door for kind of deeper storytelling. It's kind of like, it was more about, okay, who's the character? What do they want? What do they really need? And it's not usually on a TV kind of kids animation schedule. You don't really have that time or opportunity to think about characters that deeply, but uh, the process was different. And I think that it, we really benefited from that so yeah that's really cool um that's great and i want to sort of dig in on some of that stuff in a bit um but benji and dan i want to talk again about uh koala man and you know looking at the stuff you guys have done it feels very much in line um with your interests but that's not always the easiest thing to sell like just because you care about something doesn't mean a buyer is going to so can you tell us a little bit about getting this off the ground yeah, I mean, it's, you know, as so many of these stories goes, it was it was a long process. But, you know, this this came to us, you know, Koala Man was a character created by uh, this young Australian animator named Michael Cusack. And, you know, he did it, you know, he sort of he was doing like underground like Australian animation that were like YouTube videos and things. And and, then, and that's how Koala Man started. And, you know, he got, he got the attention of Justin Roiland, who, you know, Justin Roiland had a deal with, uh, with 20th Animation. And that's where we had a deal. And, you know, it's one of those things where 20th Animation saw Koala Man, they linked it up with us and we sat down with Michael and you know you never know how these arranged marriage type sure. meetings are going to go um but we really hit it off with it i mean within 10 minutes we knew that we were on the same page about what this show could be um you know michael obviously 
being from Australia, he knew all the Australian stuff that we had no idea about. Um, and he just has such a unique voice and point of view and stuff. And, you know, he's not as familiar with superhero tropes as as we are. He just had this notion of like an Australian superhero, but he didn't, you know, he's not like a, a full on superhero nerd the way Dan and I are. And so we sort of, uh, you know, we're able to bring our knowledge of that as well as, you know, just our knowledge of how, you know, a long form series works as opposed to like short right. YouTube animations and adult swim type content, which Michael had been used to. Um, Dan, what what else? Well, I, I think that, you know, as to the, you know, the part of the question about our interests, I think that it can be a double-edged sword sometimes. I, I, I've, I We've definitely been in situations where being too much of a fan of something has almost been a detriment in the eyes of the people that are, 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 you know, the producing it or the executives that they sometimes worry that, that you are too close to something. Mm -hmm. And we have been fortunate in our career to kind of lead with our enthusiasm and lead with, you know, hard one geek knowledge. Like, you know, like I can't ride a bike. I can't rollerblade. I can't, <laughs> I, I've, attempted to ice skate before but i can i can tell you you know the first appearance of the juggernaut you know and i can tell you like that's that sort of stuff and so i think that earlier in our career there was a tendency and, and this is a very natural tendency for anyone to sort of be presented with an opportunity and say well, well maybe i can make that good mm -hmm. i'm a smart person maybe i can i can use my brain power to make this thing that i'm not that into into something that i like and that other people like and 99% of the time, I, I think that that ends up being a, a, you know, doomed to failure, basically. And so as we've been going along in our career, we really try to be selective and protective about the things that we get involved with and sort of say, is this something that we really, truly are bringing something to the table, you know, with our own knowledge base? But also, is this something that we want to that we can that we can like there's the funny family guy riff where peter goes and he's got he's bumbler with a tumbler and then he goes through the network path you know process and he ends up being like springer with a boinger so like it's like a, just a different show and we've had that experience <laughs> before and so i think that now when we pick things it are things that we're so passionate about and things that we do feel like we have some expertise in the world of that we are able to fight back a little bit when, and, and in this particular case, Qual man, everyone was amazing about giving us creative notes, but that's not always the case. And sometimes you really do have to like sort of say, Hey, you hired me to have some sort of expertise on what we're talking about and allow me to help you help yourself. And, and that doesn't, and that's not, you know, and sometimes people are resistant to that. And so I think, I, I guess what I'm trying, I guess the, the TLDR version of uh, this is, if you are truly passionate about something and you truly feel like you have command of it, you can really shepherd it from the, from the start to the finish. Mm -hmm. And that's how I feel like Koala man was. It's like, we had a vision for the show and everyone's taste was sort of aligned in the same place. And that made us on this hot rail to. Right. And, and, and I think that all the, the powers that be at, at Hulu and, and Disney and, you know, everyone that had to sort of be into the show to, to make it actually happen like they i think they saw our clear 
vision, as weird as it was, they could tell that we were all on the same page and we had a real plan to do something different. And, you know, luckily, you know, Hulu was excited about doing something weird and different. And even then, it helps to have someone like Justin Roiland lending you that, you know, credibility of of saying no no i i trust these guys and when someone like justin is is giving you that that trust i think that that also helps um make other people feel like Mm -hmm. they can trust you (laughs) well i think that's yeah felicia go ahead because i think you're gonna pick up on what i am (laughs) oh no i actually was curious about the timeline um in terms of the first time you guys sat down with michael that's his name right michael yeah Mm -hmm. and then to like on air um, I was four, set, almost like, four years. Like almost, yeah, almost four years. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's the the animation of it all definitely adds a, a year to that. Sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it was a problem. And Michael was working on it, you know, for years before it even came to us. So uh, it's really it's been a long journey. I was going to say the pandemic didn't help in that respect, and then also. Uh, you know, when you're talking, when we were talking earlier about how you schedule, all of our production is done in Australia and half of the writers mm. was in Australia. And oh, wow. so really? wow. Benji and I were taking meetings sometimes at 11 p.m., midnight, one in the morning Oof. to just try to facilitate things. And when we were actually in the writer's room, we had some writers on the East Coast, half of them in Australia. We were in Los Angeles and we realized we had exactly three hours a day in which everyone was up and able to work. So we worked from one, about two to two to two to five p.m. every day, and that was it. That was literally the only time that it was possible. And even that was asking the Australian writers to get up at like six or seven in the morning. So it was uh-huh. it was definitely <laughs> that. I think that also added to like, like the degree of difficulty on the on the lead in process. But, but yeah, no, you just had to be a, a highly efficient writer's room of just like <laughs> we're not going to second. Like once we decide what episode three is, that's what episode three is going to be. <laughs> uh, no time to second guess. Yeah. Good Lord. That that sounds incredibly difficult, but also like as you were saying, Dan, like when you care about it, it it's I'm sure, as much as it feels like work, like it's it's a pleasure to do. You know, you you're invested. So I want to talk about the what pitching is like. I mean, Felicia, you know, on these projects that you have in development, how many of them originated with you? How many of them were things that you pitched on and got invested in? Um, and then what, is, what does a pitch look like for you? What, what have you found works for you? Yeah, um, well, the one in Netflix actually was a sample that I sold to Netflix. Um, so that originated with me. It was an original idea, but they bought the sample and mm-hmm. then went through development with them. And then they um, commissioned a second script, uh, which I turned in like the day before the holidays. Um, so, but then I had to go in and pitch like the season out, right? right? Like I had to show them what I was envisioning of this being a show with legs. Um, so I had to do that. Um, and then uh, I do a lot. Of, I've, I've actually recently took out a show at the end of the year. Um, so, and I haven't done that in a while where you do like the eight net, the eight streaming networks yeah. pitch. Nobody does that, that anymore. <laughs> I see why, you know, I was just <laughs> like, this is like a marathon and, 
Um, and also because, you know, half of them, you know, aren't going to buy them because yeah. it's like political relationships with your producers and stuff that has nothing to do with you. And you're just like, I'm, you know, anyway, uh, but that for me, I, I, I do a lot, you know, now that pitches are on zoom, I actually prefer it. I know that it, um, you don't have the same interaction, but I used to memorize pitches like really, and then, and then you don't know what environment you're going into when it's physical. Like I remember being in one pitch and they were like in my face like this and it was very <laughs> uncomfortable. Another pitch, uh, uh, exec brought her dog and the dog was jumping on the sofa. Like, so I like that it's a more controlled environment, but I still do a lot of, um, you know, I write out my pitch word for word and I still do like a memorization of it so that it can then feel natural. Um, so there is a lot of work for me around performance. I do think that um, pitching is part performance. Um, and so I had to like kind of strengthen that muscle. Um, but yeah, I do a lot of a lot of performance aspect of it. Um, That's interesting. And making that personal connection, I'll bring in you know, I do also now I do visuals. I don't call it a deck, but just pictures that coincide with what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. So I'll bring in like a, this most recent picture was a picture of me and my high school boyfriend is like the first picture. And that's how I talk about my personal connection. Um, but yeah, I try to make it as, you know, the answer the question why now and also why you um, mm -hmm. are the things that they all want to know. Yeah. Uh, I think that's that's very smart. Um, and I think this the use of visuals these days is like unavoidable. I mean, it feels like that is now the expectation. I mean, Steve, you sort of have an upper hand on this, having worked in animation for so long, being a director as well. Um, but tell me about your your pitching process. We can talk specifically about Moon Girl. I'm not sure how that came together, but but you tell me. Yeah, I mean, uh, Moon Girl uh, was developed, a little bit of development before I came on board mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't going super well. Then I came on board and we said, okay, we got to kind of change a lot of this. And so there was a re-pitching process to Marvel. And, you know, it's the second go around. So you got a lot of people with their arms crossed, like, okay, well, what is it now? Um, but we took a different tact on it where we talked about, okay, these are the characters and we spent about a half hour on each of the characters. And I think they were really wow. surprised at the depth and the work that we put into figuring out the show and the environments. Okay. This is, this is the world they live in and that sort of thing. Um, but I think the, the thing that really moved the needle was a proof of concept piece because that's kind of a key thing in animation is because every show is a different style, different sensibility, different pace or feel. Um, we did a, a kind of a music video segment because each episode has a musical mixtape moment. Um, and the piece was, the musical piece we used was a Childish Gambino song called Sweatpants. And I got to tell you, when we had that piece playing in a room full of, you know, suit and tie executives, it was like, what is this? What is this sound coming from the speakers? <laughs> um, it was authenticity. And I think it was something that they were really kind of shocked us to hear because I don't think anyone would kind of put that sort of thing in front of them. They play it safe. Um, and I think they were really drawn to that. So I think part of the success was being bold in the pitches, I think. And and just going against the grain, like, okay, I don't want to play safe to show something they've already seen or something they feel safe with. Let me show something that feels right and is moving the needle and pushing the envelope. Otherwise, why are we even doing this? So that was an interesting part of the process and very and different for me actually than than most animated projects prior. Hmm. 
Oh, that's interesting. How how would a typical animated project go? Well, you kind of it depends on on if you're kind of creating the show mm -hmm. or what level of involvement you have in the writing of it because it usually starts with a writer idea in a lot of cases and then either you're brought on as a right. visualist or something like that but um part of the process is okay here's a script turn it into give me some design so i can see what the character look like what the environment looks like and then just go into a pilot and everything lives and dies on that animatic pilot and it's so tooled and so kind of gone over with a fine tooth comb that it it becomes a little bit of a pulling out of your your soul because then it gets thrown into testing and you know testing with with a kid group is uh is, is a challenging moment with the alpha male controlling the room or whatever whatever dynamic thing is is happening at that particular moment your show lives or dies based on just the mood of these kids in that particular moment so it's 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 a challenging it's a challenging life development in in kids animation to be honest hmm. actually oh sure absolutely um and while we're on the subject, um, Dan and Benji, I wanted to ask about um, Detective Pikachu and Adam's Family too. Some of these sort of like big name brand stuff that you've yeah. worked on. Were the I'm assuming these were OWAs that you pitched on, but but you tell me. Um. No, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. No. I mean, it was. I mean, we did sort of pitch on i mean it's yeah it, all of these sort of ip things that we do you know it, it, we've done kind of all the different ways you could get into it yeah with detective pikachu that was one where they started developing it with the with the director and another writer but it, it's the, the the first writers they had couldn't crack it they were for a whole variety of reasons not necessarily the writer's fault um and so then they were just trying to figure out the story and they had like a a round table type um thing with a few other writers that we had worked with the producers before so they invited us to come and it was just a one-day round table to sort of address you know story issues in just like the beat sheet document that the director had put together and you know dan and i just started pitching out what we thought the movie should be you know it needed a lot of work and you know we had no we didn't we thought that this was just a one day like we we had no guess that that we would be uh sure. writing on it or anything but you know we we really helped shape it in this one day thing and on our way home the the uh producer called us and asked us to write the movie um and i think that this is an example of where expertise or at least like being a huge nerd about something really was <laughs> beneficial because the reason that they even invited us to this in the first place is they sort of said well who are the biggest dorks we know who would know about pokemon oh of course dan and benji <laughs> and so i think that like as your reputation goes on as someone who is interested in genre type things or you know depending on you know horror things or kids animation you know you start to get a reputation people start to know and be familiar with with kind of what you bring to the table and and this is one where we were sort of released from any expectation of there being a greater thing than 
just this one day round table. We wanted to, you know, do a good job just to impress them for some future project that, you know, you know, some future question mark project. And then um, with Adam's family, that was one where, you know, they were looking for writers to write the sequel. They were about to turn it into a sort of open writing assignment type pitch off thing. And we basically, we were coming off of Detective Pikachu and we were feeling, you know, good about us and, and, and our, you know, sort of our status, I guess. And, but also we really felt confident that we know those Adams family characters extremely well because I mean, they're some of our favorite characters ever. And you know, so we, we met with them and we were basically like, um, look, we, we want to write this movie. We would write a great movie for you. We're not interested in a, in a in a bake off pitch off situation so take it or leave it and it was the first time we've ever <laughs> done anything like that and afterwards we we're like are we crazy what did we just do like that was who are we uh and it worked <laughs> it was the one time that you know and i think that as you stop and again, we're in a fortunate position to say that well ho- you know hopefully at least for the time being there's no one project that is so make or break life or death that mm-hmm. we aren't willing to to move on to something else and that was in that was a case where these bake-offs i think are are really really difficult on writers yes. and we've been through so many of them over we've been the through years. a lot i mean when you're in the sort of ip space you know, features you know, especially in features where writers are not treated the way we are in television uh and yeah i mean ip bottom of the barrel ip that you're just like sick with yourself of like why am i even pitching on this thing uh we've been through all of that and so yeah we i think all of that led to us being like we need to stand up for ourselves on this one and and this is a good example of they actually respond there's a there's a part in fear and loathing in las vegas actually where he writes about what to do if you're going to be pulled over by the police and he says, I mean, this is a crazy person writing, but he says, <laughs> the worst thing you can do is pull over immediately because it engenders hatred in the cop heart. And I do feel a little bit that way about executives sometimes, which is if you're too accommodating, sometimes it almost makes them suspicious of like, is this really the person for the job? Do they really have an opinion on this? Do they have a point of view? And so in the case of the Adams family, something that Benji and I were extremely familiar with, it was a little bit easier to say, listen, we're not doing a bake off. If you want a great Adam's Family script written in an incredibly quick amount of time, we can do that. And now we leave it to you to make a decision about like how you want to proceed. So sometimes it is knowing your own worth and ability that will actually taking a little bit of a hard line actually sometimes yields more jobs. And that's sort of counterintuitive at the beginning of your career, I would yeah. say. And then just to add the the one other type of ways we found ourselves in IP is like, so I mean, recently it was announced that we're do that we're writing a movie. With, for Seth Rogen based off of Figment, the mm-hmm. character from Epcot. Uh, and that was one where we brought it to Disney. Like it, it was Disney was not looking to make anything with Figment. They were not, <laughs> they, you know, it was a sort of cult classic figure at Epcot, but like it was just sitting there 
and and that was one where Dan and I were thinking about well because we have our overall deals with Disney so part of that is like look at our rides look at our attractions see if there's anything you could think of so we were going through the list and we thought about Figment and we came up with an idea we were like well it's not a show to bring for our overall deal but there's a movie here and so you know we had a general meeting with an exec at Disney features and we were just like we have this idea for Figment and they're like who's Figment <laughs> <laughs> uh, it wasn't quite that. They no, weren't no, like no, favorite. No. Our, to our friends and partners at Disney, Benji is is out of line, and I disavow him. <laughs> no, it's good it to know was, you no, have each other. I mean, they 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 knew who Figment was, but it was not on their radar yeah, something yeah. to make into a movie. Totally, and, and so you know, we sort of found ourselves. Yeah, you know, they they were into it, and Seth Rogen got into it, and and so. That was yes, a big IP thing, but we brought it to them, and you know, and it's yeah. So so we've done it. We've done it every way. <laughs> <laughs> but again, like in that case, and and as we've talked about, like the your your enthusiasm for it, your passion for it, your passion for Figment came through. You know, yes. like you told them a good story, and and that's what sold them. And ultimately, that's what we're doing at every stage, right? Um, Dan, you touched on something that I want to sort of address before we wrap up, which is like early in your career, it's, it's hard to know to make the kinds of decisions that we know to make later. It's hard to take the kinds of stands. It's hard to take big swings even in our writing because we want to play it safe, I think, generally. What, what was it like early on for everyone? Uh, and tell me about like those early day struggles, whether it was when did you feel like you broke in or what was the thing you, the first thing you got paid for? Steve, let's start with you. Well, I, it's, it's an interesting question. I mean, I, I feel like to, to kind of talk in a broader sense, I feel more confident pushing something that's outside the envelope now. I feel like it was something that I had to earn through my career because initially, I mean, there was, there was actually so funny in industry that I, I was, somebody had confused me by working, oh, this, this guy worked on Batman, the animated series. And I hadn't, I would have loved to, but I didn't. And so every project that they came up with, they assumed, okay, it's in the mold of this, let's give it to this guy. So it was it was it was kind of a weird zone to be in for a little while, actually. Um, and it's just, it just felt like you were put in a box and it took a while to kind of find a way to kind of get out of that box. And then once you're out of it, it felt like, OK, now I'm going to kind of push things that I strongly believe in or something that feels unusual or different. But it it, it took a while to, to get there. But then once you're there, then it feels like it's almost an obligation <laughs> to do that because you have an opportunity to kind of shift you know, the work you're doing. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm a real strong believer in legacy and, you know, the work that we're doing, it's as artists, it, it needs to mean something to somebody and it needs to live past us because people don't know our names now, but they may know our work later. So it's kind of our job to kind of do something that's absolutely great that can live past us. So I feel like now I have that, that opportunity. I, I need to, you know, exercise it as much as possible. And does that, op I mean, I, maybe I'm assuming, but does that opportunity come because of 
longevity, because of success? Like, wh- why do people start saying yes? It's kind of a combination of both for me. Uh, it's kind of like you have one project maybe that just kind of rises above mm-hmm. the rest, maybe in public perception or in, you know, hype or something like that. And that kind of gives you that one notch above where you have a, a strong supporter who's in a position of power now. And suddenly it's like, all right, I'm going to give this person that opportunity. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's circumstance in a lot of cases takes yeah. you there. Makes sense. I mean, Felicia, um, do, do you feel like you have arrived? Do you feel comfortable at all? Do you like, at what point did you feel like I've broken in? I can stop the hustle a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I feel like I've made it, but that's just from a life standpoint. Like, um, I, I, I came into the business at 35. I've only been in LA for seven years. Um, so I didn't grow up in the business. I had careers prior to this. Um, I've had bodies of work prior to this. I started in books. Um, so I feel like the, the work that I've contributed to the world, I'm very proud of already, but I do think that there's a lot of shit in the business that (laughs) doesn't make sense to me. And I think you do have to train people how to treat you in this business, particularly writers. Um, and so I completely agree with Dan. I think I probably stopped bake-offs a little bit earlier than other folks because I'm like, <laughs> this don't make sense. I'm not getting paid. Um, this feels not right. Um, and also just the idea, I think Benji mentioned this too, that there's just so many projects. And I learned early on, because I came out here with one feature and I put all my eggs in that basket, that there's so many stories to tell and there's going to be another project. And I don't have fear anymore at this point of walking away. If I don't feel like I'm being treated well, um, if I don't feel like the money's right, if I don't feel like my value is being, I don't have a problem walking away because there will always be another project. Um, But then I'm also interested in being able to push forward my own projects. Like I just shot a proof of concept for a feature film that I want to take out. And even if it doesn't go the traditional way, I want to raise financing, um, you know, on, on my own essentially, right? So I'm also thinking about ways to work inside and outside of Hollywood and inside and outside of the studio system. Um, but I think the yeses started to come when you deliver as well, right? When you yeah. are put in a circumstance, which is part luck, part hard hard work and all that stuff. But then when you start to deliver, I think the yeses increase. Um, you start to gain that confidence in your own work and ability. Um, and yeah, so that's that's, I, I I spent a lot of time um, working with my team to push back on shit that does not make sense to me in this business. That's great. And I, I think, you know, you gain a lot by entering this business as an adult, you know? Yeah. You have I was a, not you a spring a chicken. Yeah. I had a different patience level, a different tolerance <laughs> level, all of that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of great advice from all of you today. I really appreciate it. Uh, we'll wrap up as we always do by asking you what you are watching on television these days. What's getting you excited or inspired? Uh, we'll, we'll rope in movies too, because you're all movie people. Um, what have you seen lately that's, you know, you're talking about with your friends, your loved rom- loved ones? Um, and Benji, let's start with you. Uh, Koala Man. No. <laughs> Be sure uh, to check out Koala Man. Yes. No, I, I have to see the most recent thing I was watching, like like everyone else, White Lotus. Uh, that's that's the last season of anything I watched. Um, you know, it's one of those things where I don't 
have that much time to watch TV anymore yeah. <laughs> because between making it and uh, two small children, it takes up a lot of my time. <laughs> so, what are your children watching? Uh, my children like to watch uh, uh, the Spidey and his amazing friends. Great. Uh, and they both, we all watched the new Matilda musical movie on Netflix together. That was fun fun family and that that soundtrack is now what's playing on loop every day so that's really a lot a lot of matilda in my life right now (laughs) (laughs) and of course they'll watch uh moon girl and devil dinosaur when it premieres absolutely steve what are you watching these days uh i think my favorite show well i'm gonna watch koala man i saw the trailer last night it looked hilarious so thank you i'm gonna i'm gonna carve out some time to watch that um the, so this past year, the shows I've been excited about, uh, Reservation Dogs, I think has been fantastic. Um, I really like James Gunn's uh, Peacemaker series, um, and I really like Our Flag Means Death, I think has been really great. Both three shows that feel like it's they're really special to mm-hmm. me. Yeah, good answers. Dan, what are you watching? I also have small kids, so the show that I watch the most is The Paw Patrol. <laughs> I can tell you anything that you need to know about the Paw Patrol. I can tell you which seasons correspond to their special abilities. Does you got I, your seat? I've never seen it, but does does Paul Paw Patrol have the same turnover as Law and Order? Uh, as far as uh, like a like one of the detectives count? decides to leave, and then they bring <laughs> in a new well, one. Maybe he murders. was a movie star. They, Tons of murders on on Paw Patrol. They, Just, they, bring, they bring in new dogs, but they don't really get rid of any dogs. No, they they bring in no they they bring in new kids as as the kids age out, which right. you know is is interesting. But um, as as adult content, um, I'm watching Willow because I loved Willow growing up. Um, it's Man, they they dropped some some money on that show. Boy, does it look good! I'm so jealous of it. Um, and I just started watching Slow Horses, actually, which has been pretty cool. I I don't watch a ton of comedy because I find it is almost like going to the office. That's when you, it's, you know it's, how the sausage is made. It's it's hard not to be like I didn't like that blow at the end of the second act. I, I, I think they should have spent another hour on that, you know, another right, 10 yeah. minutes. On we can that. really like, only suspend our disbelief uh, with drama. These so days. that's why I've gone the other, like high fantasy drama, science fiction, like anything <laughs> like that. Yes, yes, yes. Anything that has like an identifiable joke. No, actually I have a new favorite genre of joke, which is jokes written by drama writers. I'm sure <laughs> that's, and, 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 I, and, and no, Lisa, I know you're funny. You don't count, but, but there is a certain genre of joke that is just like CSI jokes Absolutely. are like top tier. <laughs> I, I actually Absolutely. like bad jokes more than good jokes at this point. And that's how, that's how sick you get doing this job. Exactly. You've come all the way around. Yeah, I've come all the way around. <laughs> Um, Felicia, take us home. What are you watching these days? Um, I'm watching Southside season three, which is comedy, and I love that it's on HBO Max. Um, I liked Reboot on Hulu, talking about how the sausages get how sausages yeah. get made. I really enjoyed that. Um, very inside, uh, hilarious, and and on point. Um, I also on the plane was watching I Love That for You, which is on Showtime, um, and it's about a woman who. I don't want to give it away, but it's very triggering. Uh, but in the industry, in terms of an experience, I just went on, went through on Grey's Anatomy. Uh, oh, but it's funny. It's a funny show. All right, check it out. 
Um, and then I saw Tar for my screeners and I really liked it. That's yeah. also, I thought was uh, on par with the industry and the toxicity and all that good stuff. Oh, interesting. So, I haven't heard it heard about it talked about in those terms. I just keep hearing how yeah, you know, it's like a different industry. And, yeah, yeah, a different industry, but you see the parallels of like yeah. manipulation and narcissism and oh, all wow. of that. Oh, great! It's back on my list. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you all so much for being here. Come back anytime. It was a real pleasure to chat. Right. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks very much. Forever dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram, at Forever Dog Team, and liking our page on Facebook.